Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. You ever own something that inspired you to up your game? We spend so much time in our cars. It's nice to have a car that makes you feel good. It's giving me like, you deserve to take care of yourself, girl. Honey, I just love Alexis because it's giving luxury. It just gives like, nice. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And the features on this GX, honey? Available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Available front row massaging seats. Ooh! Available 33-inch all-terrain tires. That's wide! Available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Teresa Colinet, where I ask her, how sharp is the history of scissors? Oh my God, I'm so excited. I can't stand it. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. And today we are learning everything about scissors. Welcome to Risa Colinette, who is a design historian specializing in the history of scissors. She is a graduate of the Royal College of Art, Victoria and Albert Museum History of Design Master's Program. She has worked on various fashion and textile museum exhibitions, including the 2018 show, The Secret Life of Scissors. Teresa, Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I mean, it's so exciting. And I'm talking to a hairdresser, somebody who uses scissors professionally. I've been using so many scissors in my professional life, which, you know, we we call shears. And (laughs) I was like, I need to know more about these. Um, And also to everyone, you just have to know if you haven't seen on social, um, Teresa is a very modern shag. I love it so much. And also (laughs) this art behind you in your house or your office is gorgeous. I just have to say. So, when and this is a personal question before we even get into the history of scissors when did you realize that you were obsessed with scissors and that you wanted to become a literal scissor historian well it kind of snuck up on me a little bit it's like i didn't go looking for scissors it's kind of like they came looking for me because when i started my master's course i was really interested in doing something about textiles because i'd worked previously i've been working like retail i worked for liberty of london you know really famous for their textiles i love prints i love color etc fashion um and then when i started my course um, we were asked to write or look around a museum and find our favourite object and write about it. So off I go down to kind of, I had an idea, I wanted to look at this um, 18th century um 
fabric designer called Anna Maria Garthwaite, who made these beautiful floral prints out of silk. Absolutely stunning. This is when everything changed. <laughs> so I saw this little picture, not that big, made of cut paperwork, which turns out was a big hobby in the 18th century. So it was this beautiful picture. It was almost moving. It was a picture of a country house with a garden and an orchard. There's this big house. There was a carriage kind of going along in front of the house. And there were people working the garden. There were some dogs running around. And it was all made out of paper. So next thing, I have to find out how they do this. So luckily in the V&A, they have a wonderful library. So I go into the library, onto the catalogue, look up cut paperwork and Anna Maria Garthwaite in this picture. Um, and also in that search, um, I had the opportunity to look at the scissors they used to do this hobby, which were absolutely tiny, like the size of a key. So basically, I pick up the scissors and I'm thinking, gosh, these are tiny. How do they work? And it suddenly comes to me. It's so obvious. Scissors obviously act as an extension of your hand. And in many cases, they kind of give you more options. They kind of give you a larger movement. But in this case, these scissors kind of restricted you. So you were only able to do these tiny, delicate little cuts, right? So that you could make these very fragile pictures. And the picture was kind of alive. The paper was so delicate, it was kind of floating. So the bits, the kind of shapes she'd cut out with these tiny scissors were floating on this kind of parchment background. And it was almost like an animated film. The trees almost seemed to move. So that kind of the bug took me then. And it was like, look at more scissors. This is really kind of interesting. And then I think scissors is like a rabbit hole. Once you start actually seeing them for what they are, you just want to know more. Because normally in life, I know in my household, you know, with like four kids and husband, whatever, everybody's saying, like, you know, where are the scissors? And usually it's like, where? Where are the scissors? Um, and they seem to be hiding. They're usually kind of in a drawer and you have to go through lots of rubbish and then eventually these scissors appear. Um, so it was this interesting idea of um, scissors, the idea that they're kind of dormant and then they come alive when they're in the hand of the user. And this idea of how closely connected the intimate bond with the human being. So you know that, Jonathan, with cutting hair. As soon as you've got your scissors, you know, you're able to do all these wonderful things and be really creative. Um, and that's the kind of power that scissors give you. And also, it's like democratic. Anybody can use them. You know, it gives everybody a power, you know, if they want to use it, to do so many different creative things. Ah! And also, I just realized, Teresa, that I think that's why I wondered about the history of them because my husband and I could never find our scissors, like in the kitchen. Exactly. We were like, and we had all these scissors, but then like every time I look down, they're like, it's usually my fault because I take them to the garden instead of using that fierce like pruner to like cut the vegetables off. I would like just get impatient and not want to go to the garage. I would just go get scissors. <laughs> so it's usually my fault, but whatever. Uh, sidebar. So, okay. Can you like define a scissor for us? Okay, so taking it back to basics, and actually I've got a pair of scissors here, so I can kind of, if you can see those, so I can um, explain exactly what they are. I mean, obviously, they are a cutting tool, basically. They have two arms, which are basically these, which end in blades. They have finger holes so that you can um, go to manipulate them, as it were. Um, but what's crazy about them is the kind of science of them, if you really want to get scientific, they operate like a lever and a fulcrum. This is where it all goes a bit technological. And basically, this point, where the two arms of the scissors uh, kind of join together, so like the cross blade here, 
that point there is the pivot point. That's like the fulcrum. And then you operate ah. the levers with your hands. So you're kind of operating this technology without even knowing it because you're just using the scissors because they, you know, they make you do it. Your hands are in the right place. They help you to kind of make that movement. Um, so kind of a crazy technology. And I love the fact that, you know, throughout history, with all the improvements in technology, nobody has ever thought of a better idea than a pair of scissors, let's be honest. And like, you know, famous people like David Hockney, the artist, famously said, you know, with all the high tech going on, sometimes you just need a pair of scissors. You can do pretty much anything. Haven't they gotten like a little fiercer or are they still literally the same? So going back from these cross-bladed babies here, more originally, some that were made earlier, there is, there's this sort. They're like the original. They're called spring scissors or also called shears. But, but shears, you're right, can also refer to this kind of scissor when they're kind of big and have long blades. These are spring scissors and they operate in a slightly different way. So the pivot point, if you like, is actually at the end. So they operate from there. That's the fulcrum. And then these are the levers. But I mean, back in the day, going back to, you were asking, thinking about hairdressing again, you know, Egyptians, Romans, they would have actually been cutting your hair with these. Really? <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine? There were probably some pretty bad haircuts. I don't know. Because <laughs> I guess we don't have videos. Could you have just held it like this, though? You could have done that, like, with a knife. I think originally they probably had to, if they were going to cut their hair, it would be with knife, and then you kind of graduate to this. I mean, obviously, these are used for shearing sheep and things, you know. Um, and obviously, you could get smaller ones. Maybe a hairdresser would have had slightly smaller ones because they do look like, you know, fairly you know, scary coming towards your head, I would have thought. <laughs> yeah. So wait, do we know in like the first scissors? Like when's our first evidence of scissors? Okay. Okay. So now this is, the thing about scissors um, is everything about them is kind of ambiguous. There's a kind of mystery about them. They're kind of mysterious objects, which I love. Um, and the same could be said about how they kind of came to be. Now there's a kind of urban myth for some reason. And I heard it literally the other day when I was listening to the radio doing something, when they say, oh, Leonardo da Vinci, he invented scissors. You know, give the guy a break. He did do a lot of cool stuff, but he did not invent scissors, okay? But, and, you know, it's easy to know that because you can see in the museum there were scissors before then. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, you look on the internet, you look at stuff and there's all sorts of dates flying around. But definitely in ancient Egypt, they did have scissors. So we know for sure, for sure, for sure, we can say a thousand years BC, for sure, there were scissors, but they would have been these ones, Okay. Um, the cross-bladed ones like this um, were more, I think, safely we can say in Roman times, first century AD. It was the Romans who really had the idea of putting that kind of um, screw in the middle. The other definite bit of proof of a date that we can totally rely on is third century. We know that there were scissors found um, in Switzerland um, on an archaeological site. We know that because a very famous Egyptologist called Flinders Petrie, he was famous for his cataloguing and his accuracy. He um, found them and he logged them. So we know that date is true. But I think it's interesting. So I was looking on the Metropolitan Museum of 
art um, in New York, look at their scissors. Um, and they had a really lovely pair. Again, they were like the spring scissors, like these ones, decorated with Egyptian things. And actually really cool, because on the blaze, they have a cat one side and a dog the other. And when you do that, the cat and dog sort of kiss, which I think is kind of, kind of cute. Ah, that is so cool. <laughs> I know. How cool is that? We're obsessed. Perfect. And not yeah. to get off track, but can I just say, and I don't want to make any of our other guests that I've ever had jelly, I don't know if I've ever had so much fun in the first, like, 12 minutes of an episode of Getting Curious ever. This is so much fun. This is so much fun. And what I actually love is when you start, like, people know me and know about scissors, and at first they think, oh, we better humor her. This is quite dry. But when people start listening to stuff about scissors... It is interesting because we all know scissors. We've all used scissors. We're not talking about something that we don't really know about and we haven't had any experience of. And when I had my kind of little show about scissors in the museum, and it was kind of like a cabinet of curiosity, just a whole lot of stuffing kind of cases, and it fascinated me how people walking around, they were just talking to each other. It kind of, you know, there were memories of scissors. People had given them scissors. Everybody has all those kind of interesting little stories because it's so familiar to us. And I think that's kind of quite fascinating. Okay, so just to recap, in the Egyptian times, which was like, you know, before Common Era, we're talking like before zero. So that's like 3,000 years of scissors. It's so fierce, I can't stand it. But you had mentioned... You said Leonardo da Vinci, right? You're like, leave the poor guy alone. He's done a lot of cool stuff. (laughs) Did he like... Did he have any part in popularizing them? Or, like, who, like, was there someone who was really, like, like the Beyonce of scissors? Did someone, like, oh my really popularize mm-hmm. them? Um, not, I'm trying to think, not going back that far. I think in, like, a more recent time, when people are, like, for example, I mean, this is much more recent, but, you know, Vidal Sassoon is obviously famous because he was a great hairdresser so you think of him with his scissors immediately um, but going back I can't think there was like a one particular person I think because they were used by people at all sorts of different levels so no not going back that fast but there are various characters um, that become sort of known for their scissors and I have another one actually okay let me show you this guy so because I've got an interesting picture so this is going forward a bit so this can you see that yes Will you describe it to our listeners? What, okay, are, what are we looking at right now? Okay, so this is a portrait. It's been made into an icon sort of style by a lovely artist. Actually, she's American called Christina Miller. Um, and it's an image of a guy called Pierre Toussaint, right? Now, he was originally a slave from Haiti. Um, and he came to New York because his owners basically brought him to New York. Um, And once he was in New York, um, he took up the trade of hairdressing, cutting hair. And because his, I mean, this is so bizarre, his owner's husband died and he had to keep the widow, um, like kind of make money basically to help her out as well. So he became a hairdresser, became really well known. He was like, he was a celebrity basically. So this is in kind of 18 something. He was born in about 1786, someone to say. Anyway, he became really famous, knew lots of rich people made lots of money, um, and but then he was a great guy. He also helped a lot of people. He um, helped with orphanages. He um, helped sick people. There was a kind of time of cholera, and he went across the kind of barriers to kind of help people out. Now, this guy is currently on the way to becoming a saint. 
because he did so many good works, right? He was just a good guy. And he educated immigrants. He did he just reached out to everybody. Um, and eventually, the um, his owner, the one remaining, the lady, she died. So he was a free guy. Well, she actually gave him his freedom before she died. Um, but he devoted his life to good works. He got married and did all sorts of things. So in 1996, I want to say, um, Pope John Paul II kind of started the kind of process you need to make somebody a saint. Um, and his body actually was exhumed. He's buried in St. Patrick's Cathedral. He's the only kind of layman, non-religious person to be buried there. Um, because he also, before the current St. Patrick's Cathedral, there was another one on a different site, and he raised a lot of money for that. So he devoted his life to good works, basically. But here you see, it's just great, him holding the scissors, and they're open in a kind of cross-like shape, so they kind of symbolise a cross. Ah. So he was definitely a celebrity back in the day, an early celebrity, known for his scissors. I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, but I should stop paying for me time with whatever credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offer 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Sign me up. Room upgrades? Yes, please. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. They always say trust your gut. But one time, my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows. And that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no! Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 25% off. So those spring scissors, those are made of like stone, metal? Like how's the materials evolved of scissors? Okay, so basically... Because scissors, I mean, the long and the short of it is scissors evolved, basically, man, you know, from the cave onwards, you know, there's something, oh, I need to cut something. Like in the Stone Age, they'd use a piece of stone, you know, to cut a piece of, try and get a bit of meat, they're starving, you know, desperate to get some meat, they're using a stone. And then, of course, you know, you have Bronze Age, Iron Age, so people start using, they realise quickly enough, metal is going to work. Um, so they use various metals. I mean, these ones, I think, are just kind of iron ones, hence they're kind of quite rusty. Um, but of course, as time goes on, um, the world of metals kind of evolves um, and you get all sorts of different things. So um, steel, you get cast steel, you know, different kinds of steel. Eventually, you know, you end up with carbon steel, which nowadays is used for scissors. So like the steel gets better and better because of various processes. Um, for example, in Britain, you know, we had the kind of industrial revolution in the kind of um, 18th and 19th century. So where 
you know, steam power, all these bad things now, you know, with pollution and thinking of COP26 and all that we're worried about with the kind of climate. That's kind of when it started with the Industrial Revolution. Um, but people have got better and better at kind of producing different metals. So these ones here I've got, these are kind of really new ones. So they're made out of really high-grade steel and then they're kind of plated and kind of, I know, gold kind of plating or something to kind of make them more attractive. Um, but... Yeah, definitely. With And you see that with hairdressing scissors, particularly like in olden days, the first kind of hairdressing scissors aren't that sort of amazing. But as you know, now, you know, Japan, lots of countries, Germany make these really amazing kind of carbon steel. They're just, yes. just so sharp. They're really precious. And I have so, yeah, because because I'm so picky about my shears. Like I have texture shears, thinning shears, sliding shears. Um, it's like shears for every different thing. And they all have like slightly different like tips or slightly different like gradient um, things. Or like exactly. one of the side will be like teeth, like mm-hmm. like these like little teeth and like different shaped teeth that creates like different texture. Obsessed. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, they always say like, don't say hate, but I hate using shears that aren't my shears because they feel different in your hands and they're just like different and they don't make the same effect that like you're used to because they really are like an extension of your hand and like your brain you get used to using them so when is the first time and where if you can tell us uh when do they like first get like mass produced like and was that like before there was factories like did we like who was the first kleenex of scissors Okay, so sort of mass production, you have to start looking at the kind of mid-19th century. Um, mm. And this, again, is, of course, um, as I was saying, like the, mo- the modes of kind of making steel had kind of improved. There were different ways of doing it. And with the kind of invention of cast steel. So actually a big moment is, se- well, this is an English kind of history almost, in, I think, 1761 in Sheffield, which is a place that's very famous for making scissors. Um, a guy called Robert Hinchcliffe, um, he kind of invented kind of cast steel, if you like. Um, and this meant it was much quicker to kind of make scissors. You could kind of make more of them. You can make them quickly um, rather than hand forging, because originally it was, you know, take a lump of metal start, you know, chipping away to kind of create the scissor shape. So, um, but even so nowadays, that's the other, one of the many interesting things about scissors, the amount of stages in the production, there are about over a hundred different steps in making scissors. I mean, it's mind blowing, even with kind of modern technology. Is that just because it's like they have to be like slanted at just the right angle and like put together on that little like fulcrum word or whatever you said, like yeah, otherwise no. they won't work? Exactly. And also the best scissors, I mean, to be really, really good scissors, they need to be kind of hand finished. At the end, you need somebody intervening. Um, And if you've ever watched, I was watching a video about the making of Jaguar scissors, which are a German company. And it was all kind of like very mechanized and kind of even kind of robots. But when it came to the end, you saw a human had to get involved because it all comes down to the feel of the blades you know, how they look. And exactly like you say, the most important um, aspects of creating a kind of good pair of scissors is there has to be um, kind of tension between the blades. You know, the blades have to be slightly twisted to face inwards. Um, I basically show you again, because it's easier kind of when you show you, when I show you. So with that pivot point there where they're meeting, then there's a slight gap and they're kind of twisted inwards and then they have to kind of join together perfectly at the end. 
Mm. to be able to cut. So it's quite a complicated process. For hairdressers, we know that we need our shears sharpened when it starts to like push the hair. Like when it doesn't do like a nice crisp cut, yeah. it'll like the hair will like push out of the base of the scissor or the other thing that'll happen is it'll like bend the hair. Instead of cutting the hair, it like bends it. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh honey, these shears are like past dull. Like I needed to get them sharpened like a month ago. <laughs> so yeah. I guess I've never really experienced that with like, Home scissors, though, like scissors that I would like cut, like, you know, a piece of paper with or like mm-hmm. those. I've never really had those get dull at home. Is that because I don't use them very much or something? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. But I mean, like, there's definitely and a dressmaker will tell you dressmakers get really annoyed if you pick up, you know, a pair of scissors to cut paper and use dressmaking ones that will ruin a pair of dressmaking scissors. If you use my hair cutting shears to cut paper... That makes sense. That was rude of mm. me to not understand that sooner. So I think whatever you're kind of using them for, I mean, the truth is a pair of general kind of household scissors, you know, they don't tend to work that well for long. You know, you find yourself cutting a piece of sellotape and it's not quite working. They seem to have a shorter life, probably because you're doing lots of different things. So I think the moral of the story is you need, you know, a pair for cutting paper, a pair for cutting fabric. You know, that's the best way forward. And the other thing is, you know, it's much better to buy one pair of really good scissors than buy lots of cheap kind of mass-produced ones. At the end of the day, they'll last longer, they'll do a better job. So like everything, you get what you pay for, I guess. So because scissors, we know for sure, have at least a 3,000-year-old history, it's like a long, long, long time. When did they become like household essentials for like everyone? Or were they kind of always? Because mm-hmm. even like all the fierce cave people were like, give me a pair of scissors because then mm-hmm. I can get my like meat easier mm-hmm. or something. Okay, so interestingly... Even once the crossblade ones have been created, people tend to... So if we're talking about, like, medieval times, so, like, I don't know, like, 10th century or whatever, um, people carried on using these because they were easier to manufacture. It was really quick, they were kind of cheaper, and then they just discarded them. Now, but then when you get to the 19th century, again, it's to do with the kind of mass consumption, mass production. Um, I think households had more scissors scissors became more of a thing and you start getting all these very specific um kind of scissors for different jobs this is kind of when it really took off so for example i've got a few here probably god your haircut's good oh Oh, thank you that you know coming from you i really take that as a compliment so basically for example these are 19th century those are actually garden flower cutting ones they're very ornate so that you guys can imagine um, yeah, they're very ornate. And this is what it's all about, particularly for the 19th century. They're kind of appealing at this point, say, in Victorian times in England. They're appealing to the kind of the woman of the house, if you like. They're becoming quite a gendered object in a way. Like men's scissors, well, often they think like tailor's scissors are very sort of plain. But then household scissors, things like these ones or things that are going to be on show are much more intricate. So these ones, those are for cutting a candle. So back in the day in Victorian times and you wanted to cut the wick of the candle, you'd use those. Ah! And they would be, they have little feet so they can stand on the table. (sighs) So you want people to know it shows how rich you are because you've got a pair of those. And you've Ah. also got a pair. So actually these... Kind of like, okay, so I've got the flowery scissors. So those are actually flower ones. They actually say flower on them. So they're quite ornate. 
Oh, why are the uh, blades so thick? Um, well, I guess if you're trying to cut a stem of something. Oh, Doug It's Jonathan. kind of stronger, isn't it? It's stronger. Stronger levers, I think. Wow. Um, okay, those are so cool. Oh, actually, okay, here's, we're going back a bit now because I suddenly remember these. Um, but this was also in the 19th century. Now, this is something a lady of the house, it became a real fashion, okay? So these are little scissors with silver handles, I don't know if you can see. It's like the thing that we use our iPhones. Yeah, it's like you put it on your belt, you've got a clasp. But women could also add different things. So instead of carrying a handbag around, you put all your, you know, you probably put your lipstick on here. You put everything on here. Um, but people got so carried away. They used to kind of be, they used to be funny cartoons in old magazines about, you know, how many things a woman carried on her chatelaine. So the word chatelaine originally is a French word and it means the mistress of the castle or the mistress of the house. So, yeah, so that was a big fashion and very visible and also a kind of scissors often have a kind of real sort of symbolism about them and sort of wearing a chatelaine the scissors i just showed you on your belt it was kind of highlighting a woman how industrious she was she knew how to keep the house she could mend the clothes you know all these kind of good qualities and quite often women would pose for a portrait and they would have that highly visible because it's showing that you know they're a good wife good sort of you know woman around the house so very symbolic um and then oh now this is a weird one actually they're always thinking up new types of scissors so well i'm showing you can you see that so it's like a bird yes. And his eye, I love this, is the kind of pivot point. That's the nail. So this, what do you think this was for? Do you want to guess? <laughs> so it's a chicken for people who can't see. It's a chicken and his eye is the kind of, at the central point of the scissor. Is it for a chicken neck or something? No, it's for slicing your boiled egg in the morning. Oh. Maybe the maid would bring it to you. Wow, I went to such a dark spot. Yes, I was like, is it to cut the chicken's head off? No, what no, wait, there's nothing. We're not going to talk about ugly things here. No, so um, no, this was, so the maid would probably put that on the table for you with your morning breakfast. So it's a bit of a funny thing. They also made, I mean, strictly speaking, would you call that a scissor? I guess it is, because it does slice something off. You could get interesting decorated scissors for cutting the top of a cigar, for example. So lots of different purposes. Um, oh, I've got another candle one. Now, interestingly, though I like the pretty shiny ones, there's something really gorgeous about, I find, about the really plain ones. I mean, this was probably handmade, hand-forged. It's very kind of rough, but I like it. There's something very um, tactile about it. I don't know. Oh, it's so like cool. It. So they became... I, so they kind of became more of a household essential, like as the mass production thing was going on. So like 1800s, is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it was sort of starting from sort of early sort of yeah, 1800s to sort of the mid, definitely the mid 19th century. So 1850. Um, and really scissors were very, there were loads of different types up until sort of, you know, the early 20th century. And there was a lot of decoration going on. Um, then they became a bit plainer. But the decoration, though they were being sort of mass-produced, they weren't kind of totally um, finished. There was still room for sort of hand embellishment, so they were kind of half and half, so you still get the hand decoration going on. 
going back a bit, I've just suddenly remembered all these things come into your head. So back in the kind of um, 1600s, for example, um, 1700s, there was a lot of decoration of scissors, but it was all done by hand with kind of files, very, very intricate. Um, and even like Marie Antoinette was, remember her in France, she, before the guillotine, um, she loved scissors and she was very proud of a pair of English scissors she had from Sheffield out of beautiful steel and beautifully kind of decorated um, and you get a lot of um, really crazy decorations where scissors are made in the form of a kind of harlequin kind of juggling and it became almost like a competition to see what you could produce and in 1851 in England, there was this big kind of huge exhibition, the Great Exhibition of 1851. Um, and it became a kind of showcase for British kind of industry and all these scissor makers, especially like in Sheffield and other places, they produce these wonderful scissors with the most intricate designs. Um, and they created scissors, especially for kind of Queen Victoria that took us sort of six, you know, weeks to make, you know, and had to be used about 170 different files to create the pattern. Um, so it became a bit of a showcase. And if you ever get to go to Sheffield, um, which is the kind of home of scissors in England, very much so, um, there's a wonderful um, museum, of, like an industrial museum, but it has a lot of kind of ceremonial scissors and kind of just crazy designs. So well worth a look. Okay, that sounds amazing. So then I think about like, Edward Scissorhands and like, you know, like, you know, the barber that kills people with the scissors. Like, when was the first time in history that like scissors like got associated with like a fucking stab you right in your neck or like murderer or like horror stuff? <laughs> Well, you know, I think, um, you know, for the minute they were around, how convenient, you know, everybody had, there probably was a pair around the house. So I'm sure a lot of murders were going on. But in my kind of research, which was kind of when I was writing my dissertation, I was more kind of 19th century. But looking through old newspapers, like in Sheffield, um, there were quite a few murders where um, people involved in the scissor trades or whatever would sort of, you know, stab somebody because they had a pair of scissors, obviously very conveniently. Uh, but there's a famous character in Sheffield and he was kind of 19th century called Joseph Myers. Um, and there's even a ballad about him, the ballad of Joseph Myers. And it's sort of, you know, take pity on me. This terrible thing happened and I'm so sorry. So basically it was a big court case at the time, huge in all the papers. It was on the front page of the newspaper. Um, and sadly, this guy was, <laughs> was a bit of a drunk. And when he was drunk, he was a really nasty drunk. And he'd already attacked his wife a couple of times, but she hadn't kind of pursued it. I mean, it's a really sad story. So it's really about bad kind of domestic violence. Um, and then eventually in a drunken kind of sort of state, he does stab his wife using a pair of scissors. And part of the proof for the case was one of the maids had seen him that morning using a pair of scissors to kind of get a nail out of his boot. And he'd been sort of messing around with the scissors and kind of, I don't know, maybe preparing them for his future crime. But anyway, that's a pretty bad story. And then so, did they convict I'm, him and did he go to jail? Oh, yeah, no, he was gallows, you know, boom, yeah, done for. It's a very sad tale. <laughs> Is it fair to say that scissors are associated with horror, or is that not fair to say? Well, I think it's... I think it's fair to say, as I was saying, everything about scissors is kind of ambiguous and kind of double-edged. You know, scissors, well, they have two edges. They're creative, but they are also destructive, I mean, they have that other side to them. You're cutting, you're severing things. So somebody who wrote a book about sewing equipment, whose name I can't Sylvia Groves, I wouldn't say, um, she called scissors the villain of the work basket because they kind of sever things, you know. 
So they have that kind of edge. And if you ever look, so up at the top of my house, I have like a lot of big scissors hanging on the wall. And if I go up there at kind of like in the dark nighttime, they throw these amazing shadows that are so sort of scary. So it's that kind of feeling that they have that dark side. And then, you know, going back to um, classical kind of times and Roman and Greek times, um, and you think of the three old fates. So these were kind of women, they were like old hags. And one of them had her kind of spinning wheel, you know. One of them was kind of cutting the thread of life. So that's Atropos, she cuts the thread of life. So one woman is spinning the thread of life, another one was kind of measuring it, and Atropos, the third one, so daughters of Zeus, the um, god, um, they would cut the thread of life. So when they decide to do that, you know, your life is over. So they have that sort of extra, again, sort of layer of kind of mythical. They seem to straddle the real and mythical world, as it were. And, you know, also in folklore, you know, witches and things, you know, scissors are anti kind of magic and witches. Oh, they are? Oh, yeah. If you have a pair of scissors outside the front door, and, you know, witch wouldn't dare come in. If you sort of hide them behind a the cushion, you know, she'll feel very uncomfortable and leave straight away. You know, it wards off kind of evil. I didn't know that. Oh, there's loads. And also, actually, if anybody ever gives you a pair of scissors now, pay attention here. You mustn't just accept them. You have to give them a small coin back. In England, we give a penny. Because if you don't, that will cut your friendship, sever your friendship. So there's an awful Uh. lot of kind of mystery and magic about scissors. In the brand new book, Dear By Men, Author, peer counselor, and creator of the hashtag Bisexual Men Speak, J.R. Youssef offers an unapologetic guide for readers who are black, mask, and bi. The book features cutting social analysis, personal stories, and reclaims bi plus visibility in a culture of erasure. It also offers practical feedback on how to unlearn internalized biphobia and homophobia, fight back against erasure and stigma, Navigate sex, dating, partnerships, marriage, friendship, and much more. It's available now wherever books are sold. North Atlantic Books is offering listeners 25% off plus free shipping. Purchase Dear Buy Men at www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code CURIOUS25 at checkout for 25% off and free shipping. U.S. mailing address required. Let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money. Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous, like two bedroom suite instead of a one bedroom suite? So you're like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room. So you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your, your guys's room. Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. 
What other kind of like folklore fairy tales are like around scissors? Okay, well, I mean, some of these are kind of obvious, but if you look at kind of Grimm's fairy tales, so they were written in the kind of 19th century, but they were based on stories that go back centuries and centuries. You know, people, you know, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have TV, they sat around, you know, talking, you know, telling these tales, you know, by candlelight. Um, And a lot of these tales go back centuries. A lot of them are based around um, kind of sewing, because often it's women telling the stories. So it's about their kind of daily chores. There's a lot about kind of sewing and scissors obviously come in it, come into it. So, for example, Little Red Riding Hood, which is quite a common story, right? Um, and that kind of goes back centuries before that to France to um, a guy called Charles Perrault who wrote the original tale and it's about the wolf is a kind of seducer in the court and Little Red Riding Hood is this kind of innocent girl. Then there are other versions where Little Red Riding Hood, she's a seamstress, okay, and she's going through the forest and she has to choose, will she follow the path of pins or the path of needles? But anyway, in Grimm's tale, in that version, when she's being gobbled up, by the wolf, you know, who she thinks is her grandmother, the huntsman comes to her rescue. Now, the huntsman, interestingly enough, he has a a musket, a gun, and a pair of scissors. And instead of shooting the wolf, he cuts open the stomach of the wolf, and um, Little Red Riding Hood can then get out of the wolf. So that's quite interesting because, again, you know, the gun seems like the real sort of masculine thing. The scissors seem the more feminine kind of thing he has about his person, but it's the scissors he uses. So um, in some theories, there's a lot of kind of theory behind all this, that maybe it's like a birthing process, like Little Red Riding Hood, she's stopping a little girl, she's becoming a woman. There's all these kind of layers of meaning you can attach um, wow. so, I know. But then thinking again to what we were saying about murder. So, you know, Hitchcock famously said, you know, having um, a murder without a pair of gleaming scissors is like asparagus without the hollandaise sauce. Like he says, the best way to kill somebody is with a pair of scissors. And I don't know, have you ever seen Dial M for Murder? That is the best scene ever with scissors. It's amazing. No. Okay, so... Basically, this is in 1954. Grace Kelly, you know, beautiful ice blonde, she's at home um, and this guy kind of gets into the house. And meanwhile, on the phone, um, it's her boyfriend or whatever, played by, I think, Ray Milland, and he's saying, hello, hello, and she's not saying anything. And this guy goes to attack her and she reaches behind him to a desk, gets his pair of scissors and just sticks it in his back. So, and he falls to the floor. Yes, but Grace Kelly! Exactly. But apparently there was a version that came out that was like 3D. So you could go to a cinema and it's like the scissors are coming out of a screen at you. So fairly dramatic. And then what about like punk? Like, is there any associations with like scissors and like punk, like a punkish culture? Oh, definitely. Because, I mean, if you think about it, there's something kind of slightly menacing about scissors, which kind of punks like, you know, again, because they have that sense of danger. But also because the punk aesthetic, it was all about kind of um, anti kind of mass consumerism. It was a totally different aesthetic. It was about doing it yourself and just changing the status quo. So, you know, you'd slash your clothes, you'd cut up things. Um, And even like um, with kind of magazines and things at that time. So this was like in the sort of 70s, there was a lot of kind of cut and paste where they cut out words and stick it together to form a magazine. And even like album covers, 
there was an artist called Jamie Reed, and he famously made um, an album cover, or well, various ones, one for the Sex Pistols, which said, you know, never mind the bollocks, if you can say that. Um, all cut out, you know, cut and paste. So it was a very important part. And even like, you know, Vivian Westwood, obviously she's a designer at this time, and they're kind of, you know, two fingers up at the establishment. So this is like post the 60s when everybody was really optimistic and suddenly it's the 70s. And in England, definitely, um, you know, the economy's in a really bad state. People are getting really sort of fed up with everything and the punks come with this kind of more sort of different stance and a kind of anti what went before and sort of beginning this new kind of revolution, if you like. And Scissors are a really important part of that. And there's a great picture of um, Johnny Rotten, who was like the lead singer of the Sex Pistols. And it's kind of before he was about to go on stage in Amsterdam. And he's just sitting and he's got his hands and a pair of scissors. And he's just cleaning his nails with a pair of scissors. And there's a kind of menace about it. It's kind of interesting um, that he's kind of doing that. But also with Scissors... And any kind of tool like a hammer or whatever, there's something about them that if they're lying around, you kind of want to pick them up and touch them. Maybe because yes. you're recognising, but there's something very kind of personal about them. And so it's quite interesting. You're kind of attracted towards them. You want to touch them. And I think what I love about old scissors, and um, I think like even like sort of these like old tailoring kind of ones, is that because they do get touched a lot, I love the way the handles over time kind of erode and you kind of know somebody else held them. And it's like when you pick them up and hold them, you're kind of connected. There's a kind of history, somebody's personal story. So I think the the nicest thing is when somebody gives you a pair of those scissors. It's happened to me a few times and it's like that is such a great thing to give you because you feel it's something quite personal. They're giving it to you. It's a sort of, you know, it's got a bit of them in it. You feel connected. So I really like that. Ah, I love that. Um, what, I mean, is there any like other like cultural or like religious or like life and death moments that have like a strong association with shears? These are like 1800s. They're really pretty. So I'll show you those. So if you can see, so this is a bird. So it could be a stork or it could be a heron, which is very kind of Middle Eastern. And I didn't say that before. Scissors were very early on kind of being created in sort of like Middle Eastern places like Turkey and Persia. So these are tiny, as you can see. So we've got a stork or a heron standing on a turtle, which is a kind of symbol of fertility. Um, And when I open, I don't know if you can see, there's a little baby inside. I mean, it's difficult to see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but if you look, so again, the eye is the pivot point here. Um, and then the beak are the blades. But the blades aren't sharp. They're slightly kind of flattened and kind of dull at the ends. So basically, these are really um, meant to be, they kind of remind you of the kind of midwifery scissors. So these are scissors. I mean, I don't know if these were really used for that or they were a gift kind of memorising this idea. But how a midwife, these were a clamp for the umbilical cord. And in your olden days, midwives, while they were waiting for the woman to give birth, they would have their sewing basket, they'd be doing a bit of sewing, and the scissors would go from, you know, the basket to, you know, they kind of use them for both things. So that's how this kind of came about. So the idea of a kind of, you know, stork who delivers a baby, or a heron who's famous for longevity and for fidelity, because they only have one mate. So these became very sort of popular and they were a good gift. I think they were given, you know, to a woman who was having a baby or whatever. So they're like very symbolic. So that's like the beginning of life. How many scissors do you have in your collection, do you think? 
I haven't counted them lately. Hundreds. I really, I don't know. They're everywhere in my house. Like, actually, so when you come in my front door, my actually, my front door knocker is a pair of scissors. So huh? it's like a pair of Sheffield scissors. So if you can imagine, and they've blunted the ends, so it makes, you know, it's a perfect <laughs> door knocker. But when you come in, the main wall upstairs is just like covered in scissors are hanging out. And once, actually, ages ago, so a policeman came into our house because we live in Notting Hill in the Notting... Have you heard of a Notting Hill carnival? So it was a Notting Hill carnival. Yeah. There's a stage outside our door. It gets quite lively. And a policeman came in to say, oh, how are you doing? Everything all right? And then his eyes saw the kind of wall of scissors. And I think my husband actually said, yeah, I know how my wife's going to kill me. I just don't know which pair. And the policeman was like, whoa. He's like, bye, you guys will be fine. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't need to worry about you. Um, anyway, I digress. But so these scissors, can you see these ones? Yeah, they have like they, a cross in the middle. Yeah, exactly. So these were a gift um, for people kind of becoming a nun or a monk. And they would be given a pair of these. So they're kind of religious themed, as you can see. So for a nun, maybe they'd be used for embroidery, but also for a monk, they might be used to do his first haircut. So, you know, when he was given his monk's kind of tonsure, as they call it, um, that would have been, those would have been used for that. Okay, so that actually leads us into a great segue for this question. So what okay. do we know about the history of scissors and hair care? Like, I mean, Vidal soon. I watched this amazing documentary about him. And previous to him, I mean, like our grandmothers and our great grandmothers and like everyone before the 60s was kind of getting their hair more set. Like you would go to the salon or you would like have your hair styled or coiffured <laughs> and it would be like, you know, a big powdery style or a big gel style or like you're not <laughs> like washing your own hair at home. It would be like set and you would wear hats or whatever. And but also soon kind of like invented the haircut. He kind of really started making like a lot of the different shapes and a lot of the different styles because even when women did cut their hair off, they were still a lot of times like going to a salon or like having exactly. someone else style their yeah. hair. And but also exactly. soon really was like teaching people how to do their own hair like at home and, you know, rocking these new styles. So, but was there other like hair trends or other like haircutting scissors? Like who, what do we know about that? Okay. Well, it seems like for quite a long time, hair scissors were kind of fairly simple. So you get, I mean, here's a pair of early 19-something, but I mean, they're quite boring, aren't they, really? It's just like a simple pair of scissors, nothing very serious. No, even pinky rest. No, exactly. I think you're sort of right, actually, that it's only in the 20th century and post-Vidal Sassoon, as they say, that documentary that... Um, about him, you know, it's called The Man Who Changed the World with a Pair of Scissors. I mean, literally, he did and transformed women's lives. Exactly, he's shown like a really good cut and then basically you could kind of, you didn't really have to go and have anything done to it. It was kind of wash and go sort of thing. Yeah. So I do kind of feel, yeah, that was a major moment. What about like the history of like scissor sharpeners? Like it like was there because like my scissor sharpener was so important to me at the salon and I always went to the same guy and I never went to anybody else and it had to be him. And every other person that ever came into our salon mm. is a shear sharpener. I always called them the swarthy shear salesman because I only trusted the one. Like, yeah, so that, what about yeah. like what are they just called like scissor sharpeners or is there like a different name for that like trade? Yeah, because, I mean, going back a long time ago, you would get guys who kind of went around like peddlers. Maybe they were peddlers as well, selling kind of buttons and haberdashery, but they would also sharpen scissors. You know, you get the scissor grinder and he'd go around with a little cart and a thing. Yes. Um, and then actually I've got 
Well, I haven't got it here. Um, I've got a kind of um, scissor sharpener from like the 1950s. It's in a really cool box. And it's, but it's shaped like a loaf of bread. I don't think it can have been very good. So like the slices of bread, they had one section for sharpening a knife and one for scissors, but I don't think it did a very good job. So you had those guys who went around, but eventually, but nowadays, like you say, you have that one person you go to or you send them somewhere. You don't routinely see people going around. But I think nowadays, maybe they don't need sharpening as much. So... And I think tailor's scissors used to not have to sharpen at all. And I remember reading about some tailor and like the way um, they used to look after their scissors and they would just kind of run them through their hair because obviously you had oil in their hair and it was just like that kind of kept them sharp. It's quite interesting. Interesting. I wonder if he ever accidentally like, cut any chunks off of his hair. So <laughs> kind of going back to where we started about like what drew you to studying scissors What's it been like to learn about their history? And if there's other folks who are like, you can become a historian of like things that I think are interesting. Is there anything that you would like tell like people of any age, any gender, any whatever, like I want to become a historian. Like, what would you say to those folks? Oh, I mean, it's been amazing. Well, it's like one of those things, you know, the more you learn, the more you know there is to learn. So I think to be a historian, you know, you find something that kind of interests you, um, an object or a sort of period, and you start reading about it. And then, you know, it opens your eyes. And I think the more you start reading about something and actually get immersed in it, the more you kind of want to know about it. I mean, objects are great because you can then go and source the objects. So like, for example, with scissors, you know, every time I go anywhere, you know, you go to a flea market, there's always a pair of scissors, you know, they're kind of quite easy to find. That's why scissors are quite fun to collect, I think, because everywhere you go, um, you know, they're easy to find. And like when we go, my husband always laughs, because if we go away for a weekend, like, you know, weekend away in a different kind of city abroad, not that we have during COVID, but like you go for the weekend to, um, I don't know, like Antwerp in Belgium or Marrakesh, you know, you, it's easy to find scissors. And we rate weekends by how many pairs of scissors did you buy, mum, my kids uh-huh. will say. Well, Morocco, I had about six pairs of scissors, you know, uh-huh. Antwerp, I found that, you know, and that's how I rate my weekends. But it's so much fun just kind of, yeah, looking. But I think having an interest in anything is just kind of good for you, isn't it? It kind of opens your eyes and it kind of, you know, it's just great. You can kind of immerse yourself in it and you want to know more naturally, I think. Have you had, like, tons of run-ins at, like, security at the airport where they're like, why do you have so many scissors? Or do you just, like, check them? Or, like, what do you do? No, well, interestingly, that did happen to me on the way back from Antwerp. So I was in Antwerp with my husband, and he had to go off on some business thing, and I was left alone. I was coming back on a train, and I had all my luggage and my, you know, 12 pairs of scissors, and weirdly, a statue of St. Teresa, which I also found about this big. I was very excited about that as well. And I I can see the luggage going through the thing, and the guys, they're just a... check it to start looking at me thinking who is this woman what is she doing what is she planning yeah exactly yeah like maybe send them i don't want you to get in trouble um okay wait (laughs) so i'm obsessed with this seeing so much of your collection has been amazing do you have like a particular favorite in your collection that you just love the most um, well, I do like the bird ones I showed you because they're like little, Those are tiny. Uh, yeah. But then I also love, well, the ones you can see behind me, those really giant scissors. Can yes. you see them? So they're almost yes. as big as me. Um, and um, I think I bought them through eBay and I had to go miles to go and pick them up. And they were actually a display pair, an advert from a shop from, I think they're like 1950s or so. But what's great is they're incredibly heavy, but if I can manage to pick them up, they do actually cut 
I'm obsessed. Okay, so then if there's people who like have watched or who have listened to this and now they're like obsessed with scissors, how can people like step up their own like scissor game? Like, yeah, any vendors you'd recommend or like antiques or anything? Um, well, I mean, it's great nowadays on the internet. There are lots of um, kind of like sort of online magazines and blogs you can read. There's a kind of collector's weekly, I think, in America and in England that gives you tips, or, you know, for scissors that you can find and history of scissors. So that's also great. And then obviously markets and like I was saying, flea markets. I mean, there are so many scissors, particularly like 19th century scissors are very easy to find because they just made so many of them. It's quite hard to find the older ones. And obviously they're more expensive, often they're more intricate. Maybe they're made of pure silver, so they're more expensive. But you can have a lot of fun just, you know, finding just unusual ones. And sometimes you don't even know what they're for. It's amazing. You can buy a pair of scissors. You start off thinking, oh, that must be for, I don't know, doing a buttonhole. And it turns out they're actually for sort of doing some medical procedure. You know, it's quite complicated working out what they're for sometimes. I wanted to show you these. So these are having seen the biggest scissors. Can you see those? Oh my gosh, babies. Yeah. With the hair they, again. Yeah, but they cut. They actually cut. That's what I love about it. So that's cool. And then the other pair, so these are from Morocco. These are fun. They're made out of the wood of a lemon tree. They're really beautiful, like, but they actually do cut. Amazingly. Oh my God, those are cool. What about ways to use household scissors that we may not have used? Like, is there any like cool things that we can do with scissors or like, like I just realized like not that long ago that I could like cut carrots with scissors and like I started like cutting food for like salads oh, yeah, that's and stuff. Quite fun. No, I know you can. That's a whole, I know. I'd never thought about doing that before. Well, weirdly, because I was but... too lazy to clean the, um, cause I had cut like meat on the cutting board and then I was too lazy to clean it. Like it literally was born out of like sheer yeah. laziness. Yeah. And so, and then I saw, and I think I was doing like. I don't remember. I think it was like a soup, but then I was too lazy to get another cutting board. So then I just like looked at the scissors and then I got the carrot and I just washed it. And then I just like put it over the bowl and I was just like cut, 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 cut over it to just save a dish. Yeah, to be honest, I think, you know, be inspired by the scissors. Go where the scissors take you. You can cut, you know, I think you can use them for pretty much anything. Um, But yeah, but like I was saying, don't use your dressmaking scissors to do that. But you can use your general scissors or your kitchen scissors to do that yeah so um i think the world's your oyster but i mean in terms of creativity what you can do with a pair of scissors like you know paper cuts like i was saying like cutting paper and collage you can have so much fun with that and like kids as well and that's an interesting thing i find that children you know you're so protective of your children and don't want them to do anything dangerous and then one of the first things you do is give them a pair of scissors which seems crazy doesn't it um, because, you know, why would you do that? Put a weapon into the hands of small children. Um, but then, in fact, that's how children, there's such a great educational thing because it's using scissors that teaches you all those small motor actions. Um, and also it teaches children kind of patience and kind of all sorts of good qualities because they learn that, you know, if you're cutting out paper or doing some kind of arty thing with paper, you know, once you make a cut, you can't, you can't go back. You kind of have to pursue it and you kind of have to kind of do the whole thing as it were. So it teaches kids um, a lot of good things. And I've got, so, you know, with kids, like when they're at school, these scissors, um, as you can see, multiple holes, so that the teacher and the child or the parent and the child, you can teach them 
how to do that. So that's really cool. Oh, those are cute. I remember in um, kindergarten, we had to do this thing with like little kids scissors where it was like, it was like one of those like circles that gets like smaller and smaller and you had to follow the line to make it into like a paper spring. And our teacher was like, don't talk, pay attention. And you have to like follow the lines. And I remember I got started and I was like, oh my God, I'm so good at this. And then after like my fourth cut, I started looking at everyone else's and then I started like talking (laughs) to my table mates. And then I looked down and it had just, I cut it to shreds. Like I was nowhere near the lines. I cut it in pieces. And my teacher got so mad at me. And I was like, damn it, Mrs. What was (laughs) it? Mrs. McIntosh, or no, yeah, no, Mrs. McDonald, no McIntosh, Mrs. Taylor, her name was Mrs. Taylor, it was none of those things, my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Taylor, yeah, and she was like, you messed it up, and then I was like, can I try again, and she was like, no, that's what I said, everyone only gets one, and I was like. So thinking of children, there are lots of cool um, children's books that kind of, again, because scissors are so connected to people and the human thing, they often get anthropomorphized, they come alive, and this is a book that was written in like 1915 by a guy who's teaching his child, which is what it reminds me, to make paper figures and to teach her patients. And look at this image. So you think of, you know, running with scissors. This is scissors running, chasing off <laughs> the little cut out paper people. And that's, that's just such, so cute. such a cool image. Um, and then the other one I love thinking of children is, I don't know if you know, you know, Stool Peter, that story. No. And the guy, so he, you know, he's a monster because he doesn't use scissors and he doesn't like having his hair cut or his nails cut. He ends up being an uncivilized creature, right? Oh. But also this famous story of the little boy who wouldn't stop sucking his thumb. So this is quite scary. So the red-legged scissor man comes and cuts off his thumb, right? But what I love about this picture, if you can see it, so there you see the red-legged scissor man, right, with his scissors, But when you look at it closely, it's like, is he running with the scissors or are the scissors pulling him? Do you know what I mean? Like the scissors. And and he cannot resist the pull of the scissors. That's what happened to me. Look what happened. Uh, (laughs) Yes, because you like literally turned into a literal scissor historian. (laughs) Teresa Colonnette, this was so much fun, I can't even stand it. This is the part of the podcast where we are wrapping up where it's like, Guest choice. Is there anything that you would just be remiss if we if you did not share with us or tell us about scissors? Also, do you have anything coming up for you that you want to promote? Or is, do you have any new work coming out? Where can people follow you? Where are you the most active if people are just okay, obsessed cool. with you and want to like, are you big on Twitter? Are you big on Instagram? Where are you talking yeah. about scissors? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got an Instagram account, which I kind of use on and off. So that's got quite a few pictures of scissors. It's called House of Scissors. And one day I do mean to write a book. I haven't done it yet. And the, that, the trouble with that is because I keep changing my mind about what kind of book I want to do. So I started off thinking, you know, quite academic. I've written my dissertation. Now I want to write a book that's all about fun and the interaction of scissors and all these kind of crazy things. And maybe it would be designed in a, not like a normal book. I don't know. Anyway, that would be my dream. Maybe. I am obsessed with that. I have so many ideas. Wait, so, and you, you live in Notting Hill. When my husband and I come back to, my husband's British. And when we come into town, I really want to come see your scissors. Oh, you must. I'll show you around. One of my favorite Getting Curious guests is an entomologist called Jessica Ware. And she um, made the mistake of giving me her cell phone number. And now every single time I find any insect or spider in my house, <laughs> like, I find myself FaceTiming her, like... I'm a little obsessed with insects now. Like, she literally calls me an honorary entomologist because, like, I'm obsessed. Oh, that's so cool. I feel a similar 
beginning obsession here. So I hope you don't regret it, but I do Good. really need to come see your no, scissors. I'm excited. Definitely. Can't wait. Definitely. Teresa, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your scholarship and for everything that you've spent your career learning about scissors and sharing with us. We've had so much fun. Thank you for coming on Getting Curious. We appreciate you. I've loved it. It's been great. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. Our guest this week was Teresa Colinette. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Uh, 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 yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Thanks to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and please show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious with JBN. Our socials are run and curated by Middle Seat Digital. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Zara Krim. 